Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another installment of a beautiful podcast. How are you this week? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, life is pretty good here. Uh, it's just the day before I go on vacation, right? We're going to go to Hawaii, the girls and I. Uh, it's our it's our kids' uh, spring break, and uh, you know it's she's going to be in college in a, you know less than two years, right? And uh, we got to enjoy every little bit of time we can together as a family. So I'm excited about this. Um, I'm also excited about today's, uh, you know, just the state of the the ecosystem right now, right? Obviously, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, the first the latest milestone of Spring Framework came out. It contains some of the infrastructure that's required to support AOT. It's not there yet. It's not like it was in Spring Native yet, but starting to get there, right? It's starting to get real, which is awesome. Um, I love it, you know? I'm, I love that we have these uh, cool advancing things all the time. Uh, I also love that this episode and, uh, you know, the hosting for this episode uh, was sponsored by Microsoft, who has just been an amazing part of the community. They do so much to make it easier for developers to build uh, and uh, deploy and manage software uh, and uh, and then they then they give it all away. They give all this cool stuff away to the community. They give away open source, uh, and they work on amazing things. I I've talked about how impressed I was about uh, having access to run M1 um, to run Java on my Apple M1 architecture using a JDK built by Microsoft at first. You know, I mean, goodness, and that's now part of the mainstream. You know, JRE JDK. You know, speaking of uh, you know that, I just really appreciate that they've just gone out of their way to support. Uh, little voices like mine, and uh, you know, thank you, Microsoft, for sponsoring the hosting of the show. You've just been amazing. Um, speaking of GraalVM, this week they also released a developer build, a preview of how to run GraalVM on your Apple M1. So if you're using Al- Apple M1 and you want to do native image compilation, well, your moment has arrived finally. And I've been waiting for this for years, right? More than two years now. I even published a blog on Spring.io for such blog. Um, the details, the steps there, and that was all thanks to Matt Rabel. Uh, Matt Rabel figured out most of the work uh, involved in doing it, and um, you know, it's, it, I can confirm it works. It's awesome. Um, I'm also super excited about today's guest. Today's guest is Jan Svoboda, uh, who is uh, who was born in Prague, the same place as Franz Kafka, which is no small coincidence, given that he now works at Confluent, the company behind the Apache Kafka project, um, uh, and he's also a former, you know, pivot. He worked in the same team as me. Uh, uh, for for a minute, you know. So you know, great great voice, great person working on, um, you know, messaging and integration. And he's he's just got a lot to say about the different patterns that are well supported by messaging and integration, uh, and techno- technologies like Apache Kafka. So definitely check this out. I learned a ton. I mean, just so many great uh, patterns here that we talked about for for that motivate the use of something like a uh, like a like a Apache Kafka. Really great insight, great discussion. I hope you get something out of it, as always. And uh, I'll see you on the beach. I'm going on vacation tomorrow. Have a good one and enjoy the episode. And uh, I'll have a show out next week. Uh, but, uh, you know, it'll, it'll probably be from some sun-kissed beach somewhere. You know, wish me luck. out great stuff we did it we're recording um we have a lot to talk about but before we get going would you introduce yourself to the audience so that they know who you are so i don't butcher it you know i, I always worry about doing a poor job <laughs> of uh, giving people the introduction 
Yeah, and no worries. So hi, everybody. I'm Jan. I'm a solutions engineer working for a company called uh, Confluent. Uh, There's a company behind Apache Kafka. And what I do in my job is uh, I work here with uh, customers in Central Europe and trying to make them uh, happy with uh, Kafka and their microservices projects. Wow. Thank you, Jan, for being on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, we used to work together. We, you know, we're, we're on the, we're on the same extended team now, but, you know, we used to work together uh, at Pivotal, I guess. And were you here when we did the whole VMware switcheroo or were you out before that or after that? Yeah. So I, so we used to work to, together at Pivotal. I was at Pivotal four years. It was yeah. an amazing experience, had a lot of fun. And then uh, after four years, I, you know, fell in love with, with Kafka new technology. And uh, exactly two years ago, I switched to Confluent, and this is what I'm doing. It, now. Wait, is it today? Is today the two-year anniversary? It's, it's like in two weeks. So. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> congratulations uh, in advance. First of yeah. April. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! April. Uh, April Fools. Uh, April Fools Day. Not, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow! Well, congrats! Congrats to them! Congrats to to us for having, uh, you know, gotten to work with you before. And also good luck congrats to us for having somebody like you on the, uh, on their team who can help us, you know, carry the use cases forward. I appreciate you being on the show. Um, you work in your capacity as a solutions engineer type at uh, Confluent. You work with a lot of different sort of uh, kinds of applications, right? And a lot of them are centered on the various use cases that, uh, that, that Apache Kafka serves. So, First of all, what is Apache Kafka? I think I have some sense of it. We've had it. We've had numerous discussions on the show, but how would you define it? Sure. So Apache Kafka is a technology that allows you to um, uh, consume and produce events. Sometimes we call it a, a distributed log. So basically, um, today we are using uh, Kafka in many projects to um, uh, establish communications between and different systems. And, you know, and this is how I got to Kafka because I was uh, working at Pivotal on, uh, on microservices, on uh, uh, migrations from legacy to microservices. And I was thinking, like, what is, the, what is the best way how the microservices can communicate? And um, we were doing a lot of uh, REST um, communications. And then, um, uh, you know, there were some, some problems with that. And then I, you know, talking with some colleagues, I got the idea of uh, trying to use Kafka for a microservice communication. And then, you know, how, how I got hooked up and start, you know, learning how this works. Awesome. Um, okay, so it's a, it's, a, it's a way to communicate. I noticed that you didn't really say message bus or message queue or any of those terms yeah, that don't make a lot of sense was, in the world of Kafka, right? You stayed away from that. those. Yeah, because it's not the same thing, right? It's, you said distributed log which is a much better mental metaphor uh, by which to think about or wrestle with the definition of Kafka. Is that true? Yeah. And, you know, the, sometimes it's difficult for people to, to understand it because uh, well, Kafka is something between the, the database and the message queue system. So it's yeah. like borrowing the, the, the technology from both because um, Kafka can... Uh, persist the data can store the data for a longer period of time. Uh, so that's this is the functionality of a database, but can be used for um, messages exchange, like the same like MQ. Um, so you have the idea of like a 
with Kafka, you have a, a durable store. That's the log. <laughs> uh, and that store is kind of like Git. It's a stack of things that get added to it, right? But they stay there. So when you have a consumer and a producer consuming data, all they're doing is they have a, a offset in that stack of data and they're reading from that offset, right? But just because they read it doesn't mean that the, uh, the stack of data gets smaller. It's the same data even once they're done consuming it. And so somebody else can come along and reread that same data. Is that? Yeah, that, that, that's the that's that's the point that uh, you can define how long the data stay in, in in Kafka. So in Kafka, we store the data in something called Kafka topics. So you can define uh, the retention period uh, of the topic, and then uh, um, the producers produce the data to the topic. Consumers come to the to this topic, consume the data, and but but the data stay there. The data are it's, it's, not, it's not deleted. And then the second consumer can come and still read the data, or you know, even the first consumer can come and you know rewind what you call the offset. So this right. offset is like bookmark when it stopped reading, can come back and then you know read the data again. And Josh, there are like a lot of like good examples, like why maybe you want to do it. Like, yeah, I don't know, like, you know, if you if something you know is wrong with your system and you want to, you know, get the input data again, like this is uh, you know amazing that you can you can jump beginning of the topic and, and read the data one more time. Yeah. So this is great because when you think when people think of a message queue, I I think it's kind of easy to think about it like a mailbox where somebody puts a message in the mailbox and then somebody else eventually comes along and takes a message out of the mailbox. And once you've got the message in your hand, it's no longer in the mailbox. It's not exactly. like a database. You can't ask it. You can't read that data anymore. Right. Whereas with Kafka, you have this durable sort of history, right? You, you can reread that same data. So it makes it great for all sorts of other use cases. You can do, like you just said, you can simulate publish, subscribe, producer, consumer, style messaging semantics, but also if you wanted to do things that require state, like uh, CQRS, right, or event sourcing, uh, then Kafka seems to be purpose-built for this kind of stuff as well. And there's a bunch of other use cases, right? What else, what are the kind of use cases would you, well, would you know, you mention? I, I work with a lot of customers um, uh, here in Germany and you know, uh, I see like the, the three typical use cases, like the first thing that what people always start doing is uh, what I call the, uh, the the legacy systems offloading or, you know, what we what we what we mean, like a database offloading or mainframe offloading. So basically they are taking data out of their legacy systems and they are putting the data in Kafka. The reason why they're doing this is because uh, they are afraid to touch their systems or they want to speed up the systems. So they are using Kafka as a proxy for uh, for other consumers to don't read the data directly from their legacy systems, but read the data from Kafka because it's it's faster, it's more convenient for them. So this, this proxy pattern is the first very common use case that I see to, to offload your, your systems. So is that, so it, you're saying that because Kafka messages are, well, is it constant time access? Like how, if you have the message ID, can you get the message instantly? Or is it like a O of one or like what's the, you know, or do you have to, do you have to, uh, 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 what's it called? Seek, do you have to like <laughs> you subscribe to? Yeah, you subscribe to the topic. And right. the consumer subscribe to the topic and immediately when something is, um, 
uh, new new data in a topic, then the consumers receive it. Yeah. Right. And and this is the the location. What what was the last data that they have read? This is called the offset. Right. So they always you know receive the, the latest data from a topic, and you know and you then because you can define how long the data stay there. So you know we are doing a lot of like. You know, as I say, database um, offloadings. So, for example, yeah. if you, if you want to get the data out of your Oracle and you don't want to let people to to get the data directly from Oracle database, you use the Kafka. You let the data stay there for one week in in your in your topic, and then you let people just consume data from from here. So this but is it, like very common pattern. I see, but is the idea that the data in the Kafka topic? is faster to read than it would be from Oracle? Or is it just you don't want people to read from Oracle, period, regardless of the speed? <laughs> like you just want to secure mm -hmm. that little, you want to isolate that database and then have something in between yeah, so you it, can switch it out later. It's, it, it's not about, uh, it's not about like the, the, the performance as you're describing. I, I think like it's really more dependent on, on a tuning on the system. So I believe you can tune the systems pretty much uh, similar of, of, of a performance, but it's okay. it's more about, you know, the, the separating the reads and then, yeah, you know, coming to do the CQRS pattern that you, you know, mentioned yeah. at the beginning as well. <laughs> well, because that's very interesting, right? So with CQRS, you can have a bunch of microservices. Each microservice maintains its own aggregate and other things in the system that want to know about the updated state in that aggregate can listen to uh, messages, right? Uh, and those messages are basically messages that each microservice uses to know, uh, to update its view of, of the rest of the system. Mm -hmm. So if something else in the system has changed, there's an event that communicates the delta, they, then each microservice applies that to their own working view of the system. Or worst case, they know to invalidate their view and then pull it down from something else. Um, and you're saying, because of the indirection here, I can have a like a CQRS system that publishes events and then each microservice consumes those events and they update their own view all without ever talking to Oracle because all the data required for the new view of the system, the world global state, all that data comes in these deltas, each message that I can use to rebuild my event source. Is that kind of what you're yeah. getting at? This is exactly the second use case that I uh -oh. wanted, to, wanted to get to because- Didn't mean to get ahead. No, 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 no worries, no worries. Uh, you know, like the, the database offloading is usually the first thing because this is like the obvious, the first, the easiest thing to do, let people start right. doing. And then, then then they get to the things what you are describing, like when they start playing with the microservices, when they start using the data, they come to this, uh, the microservices, um, the, the event-driven architecture patterns, how we call it. Right. And, and then we are getting to the things what would you describe is around event sourcing and, and CQRS. And it, it's it's interesting because there is like huge hype around it, right. but still it, it's not like super simple to do. Like, so that's why I see like still like a lot of confusions and uh, just, uh, it's not as trivial as people, you know, expect this to be. No, no, no. Uh, and, you know, and the, the reason for this is, Basically, what I see in my experience that the reason is actually what do you put in your message? You know, what do you put in the event? And then there's like a lot of lot of things. Like, and I'm talking like, is your event you know carrying the state? Is your event just a notification? Is your event right. a delta from from some previous event? And and these are the things that really matter. matter. And then this can you know make the things really complicated or, yeah, or easy. I 
that's a great point because I, if you're doing event sourcing, then I usually imagine it's going to have a delta, right? But then if, if, you're, if that's the way you proceed, then you have to build in into that system. You have to think about, okay, what if I miss a message, right? What if I miss a message? What if I'm, what if I'm offline? What if something, you know, what if I miss one? Is my worldview now corrupted? Do I need to start from, the, do I need to replay every message? You know, and of course with, with Kafka, you can totally do that. Um, but you just brought up a very good point. Did you ever see uh, Martin Fowler's different oh, yeah. types of uh, event driven, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's got, you just mentioned a few of them, right? There's event notification, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, here you're, let me see. Um, the message becomes a thing to record and pass around. Uh, it's um, it's a it's a it's a notification that something has happened. It doesn't tell you what happened. It just tells you that something has happened, and the system will know to look at that uh, source system in which the thing happened, and then re reread it to repull it. Right. Uh, that's an event notification. Very very convenient because you don't have a lot of state in the message. It's just it could be as simple as like a little string saying "ad just changed for this customer ID," and then you can go to the source database, read the customer information, and update your state of the system. Exactly. That's a notification. And that's the best thing to start with. Like, like start, totally. start from the basics, you know, and when you yeah. have this working, you know, move to the next stage. Right. Which, and then Martin talks about event carried state transfer, uh, where the um, downstream system stores necessary data copied from the upstream system. So this, uh, this helps the event receiver. Uh, they don't have to request details of the event for the action. Obviously, this is the, the drawback to this is now you've got two copies of the data, right? The the consumer has got their own cached view of the data, and the source system has their own copy of the data. So and you get the, eventual consistency, replicated data issues. And Josh, one more problem here is that the state can be huge. So you yeah, know, like like if you can think about the the Oracle database that you can have a multiple tables that are um, <laughs> they have a relationship together, and then the state yeah. is but maybe you know consist of uh, five or six different tables. That's the, the complete state, you know. Right. So 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 that's that's the disadvantage of uh, like if you if you want to carry the complete state in your event. That's a good point. So I in this case you start to get into modeling issues because when you start thinking about event carried state transfer, you, I I think it works best when you have like you can't just update every row in a table and then send that over a message, right? You want to. Usually I think about like individual records, individual aggregates, you know, for a particular entity. But if you're doing like the whole thing, then maybe the event notification system uh, pattern rather, rather is better. Like if you're, if you, if you just changed the price of every item in the catalog, then just send an event notification saying prices have been changed and each system can repull that data, right? As opposed to where, you know, maybe you, maybe you change the name of somebody, right? Well, that could be an event carried state transfer. You could say, here's the new name, the old name, update your own view accordingly. You don't need to ask me for it. Here's the change, you know? Um, so I guess it's a good, you, yeah, you're right. You got to start thinking about how big is the data you want to communicate. If it's too big, maybe just an event notification, right? Not a not event carried state transfer. Um, okay, so then the next pattern is uh, event, event sourcing. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the one, that's where, you know, you got to wear your big girl pants uh, uh, or yeah. big boy pants to really <laughs> to, to be able to play with that. But it's really powerful if you can make it work, right? Is um, it super powerful? And, you know, from my experience, what you are facing is uh, the, the the first problem is that you might miss some data. 
Yeah. And if you miss some data, then you will not have the proper state because you will not be able to calculate it. And like I'm working with a lot of like financial institutions and you can imagine that you are receiving the transactions in your bank account and you will just right. miss uh, one transaction. So we will not be able to get the, what is the state of your bank account? What is your, you know, current oh. balance? So, so that's why, you know, you need to be, you know, you need to make sure that if you want to do this, that you will have really all the data to calculate your state. This is the first problem. And the second problem is uh, that, you know, you need to, you need to recalculate your state. And, you know, sometimes if you need to recalculate it for a lot of data, it can, you know, take quite a long time. And the system so, is kind of offline or it's in an impermanent state while you're doing it too. Yeah. Um, so does, it, does that mean that you start, because you can't just pass around offsets. You can't just pass around Kafka topic offsets forever, right? Like, well, first of all, how long is the useful longevity of the data in Kafka? Like, can I have one that is just perpetually growing, first of all? Yeah, so you can have a topics that can, you know, grow forever. So there is mm -hmm. like, at the moment, there is no limitation how long you can keep the data in a Kafka. But like if you like imagine that you would need to you know calculate the the state of your bank account for data that are like 10 years old you know it it doesn't make any sense right unless so, you have your own topic maybe each user gets it, their own topic which you can do because it's cheap uh in kafka yeah and so you know the what what people are usually doing are that they're trying to develop some snapshots so like you like you don't have to recalculate it for last 10 years but you can recalculate it for like i don't know some smaller period of time so, so, so snapshots are something to to help you with uh, with the event sourcing. Is that like a? Is it? Oh, that's interesting. So, is the idea there that you have a separate topic that contains, like, let's say you have twelve messages per year, aggregated information of the state of the account every month, for example, and now you've got just twelve messages to play for each topic for each year. So, if you want to go back ten years, it's just one hundred and twenty messages, which is nothing, you know, for Kafka. Is that like, is that what is a, what does this um, snapshot mean? Is it just a separate queue that has all the details that you want, like a time capsule? So and in Kafka today, snapshots don't exist. So you have to use a different system or you have to somehow emulate the snapshots and yeah. emulating the snapshots is, this is some, something similar to what you are describing in the moment that you can use a different topic or in Kafka, we use something what we called um, compaction strategy. And compaction right. is like that you define your retention period, for example, for one month. And then what happens with your data after one month, uh, you, can, you can delete the old data or you can, uh, you can compact it and compact it. This means that you remember uh, the, the last value for your, for some key. So, so this means that you will have the last value, like there was 30 days old and from, you will just, you know, recalculate all the things from the last value. So, so this okay, so, is like, so at, at most you're just replaying 30 days worth of events yeah. and, yeah, and you can make that, that even correctly. smaller. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So now you're just, it's like a checkpoint. Basically, yeah, exactly. so instead of replaying every single message, you could say, look, something went wrong between January and March. So just replay those two months or yeah. whatever of, of, of time, you know, is that that's awesome. Yeah, that's a good idea. Very cool. And, you know, that's that's what's fun about Kafka is that you cannot the messages are immutable that you cannot, yeah. you know, delete the messages. You cannot manipulate the messages. 
But, you know, working in, in Europe, you have like requirements like GDPR that you need yeah. to, you know, delete some data. And, and this is, this is, you know, some, some like funny, funny things that we are getting at that you need to, you know, keep the data in Kafka because they're mutable, but you need to delete them because of some regulations and compliance. Whoa. So, so, oh yeah. How do you get around that? What do you just keep the data? <laughs> Does Kafka just become like pointers to like a claim check pattern? where the actual data lives in a database and that can be deleted, but there's pointers to it, you know, in Kafka or something. So, yeah, so different mechanisms, um, what would people do? So sometimes because GDPR is for one month, uh, so sometimes people keep the data for one month and then, you know, move them somewhere else where they can delete the data. This is the easiest thing. Sometimes people uh, will... Um, they will, uh, uh, you know, cipher the data or something like they will put some secrets around the data that, and you would need to, to decipher this, the data, you know, when, when, when you, when you read them and uh, maybe so you just throw away like, the key. If the data to, exactly, you throw away the key. Exactly. Oh, yeah. so, the, the, that's... so these are some, some smart ways how to get around. <laughs> around that's this. awesome. I never thought about that. That's really cool. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that is a great way to delete something because if you throw away the keys, it's as good as deleted. So does that qualify? Like, does that technically comply? Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not. A, it it, it complies technically, but you know, I'm not a lawyer, so yeah. <laughs> this is not another advice. Technically, I mean, the data is just entropy at that point. It doesn't exist as far as any human being on the planet or any computer is concerned without the proper encryption keys. You know, um, wow, that's amazing. Huh, smart, very smart. And that's actually pretty cheap too. So what about that? Is is there a way to do at like encryption at rest with, with Kafka or is that something you have to do on the uh, app side? Like, can you tell Kafka just to transparently make everything into encrypted? Okay, so um, Kafka is storing all the data on a file system on a disk. So yeah. you, have, you have two options. One option is that you can encrypt the disks and then the, 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 your disk will be encrypted. This is the easiest option that everything on the disk will be encrypted. And the option is, which is more, more difficult, that uh, there are now ways that you can decrypt, uh, encrypt just part of the message. So uh, oh. there, is a, there is, for example, there is a framework from, from Confluent, we call it end-to-end um, -end security. And then you would have a, um, um, serializer and deserializer from from Confluent that would just and you would describe which part of your message that you want to encrypt, like if that there is some some specific parts of your message, and then this would be you know you would have a the the, the, the private key, public key, and then the the consumer would have the uh, the same set of keys that will be able to uh, to read the message. So you have okay, so the I guess the so the consumer would have the public key, and the message would be they could then the two sides would be able to do a handshake. They could then they could then decrypt it. Yeah. But if they don't have the the right key, it's not going to ever. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's cool. So 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 the way how it works that the messages will be, will be sent to Kafka, but they will mm -hmm. be uh, sent encrypted. Okay. So the. Everybody will be able to receive the messages, but only the consumers with, with the key will be able to decrypt the message. I see. Oh, that makes sense. Um, 
because uh, Kafka itself doesn't care about like what kind of messages that you use you send to Kafka. Right. Like, if you can tra trans translate it to to bytes, you know, it can be it can be stored in Kafka. Right. Which is one of the things I love about it. Uh, so those serializers. Uh, do you have like a composite serializer or something that allows you to take, like, I want to encrypt it, but I also want to write strings or I want to write booleans or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah There's yeah, a bunch yeah. of serializers. Do I have one that allow me to do both? Yeah. Serialize this object and then encrypt the results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we, we do, we do have that. We can, you can just encrypt some fields. Uh, yeah. So, so, so. But do you encrypt it? Do you serialize it first and then encrypt the result, or like, you know? I don't know the actually the uh, no. the technical implementation, but I know it was this this was this is used by some customers who who are you know uh, dealing yeah. with some sensitive information and they need to have Thanks. some some specific uh, the privacy compliance. So so on the other side, is there like a MIME type in the headers or something that they can yeah, use yeah, to yeah, say, yeah, oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, secure yeah. encrypted? Okay, but it's up to each producer and consumer to figure out the content mm -hmm. type, or is there like a is there like a prepackaged Thing that comes with with Kafka that you can use for this encryption. Um, so uh, this this library, what I'm describing, uh, you need to you know get it from Confluent. This doesn't okay. come with with Kafka, and, sure. and then it's uh, it's using the, the Confluent serializer, this serializer, oh. and it's then it's using the and it's it's using the uh, the headers to okay to, to figure this, out as you as you just said. That is so cool. God, messaging, that's yeah, so good, man. This is so cool. This kind of stuff is, you know, and you still get all the benefits of Kafka here. You've just described some of the hardest problems facing architects today. And I know it's been, you know, here in California, we're starting to have, we have similar uh, uh, issues, similar technical constraints that are due to regulatory uh, sort of requirements, which is fine, right? Great. We all want that future, right? It's just, uh, it's just not as easy as it could be technically anymore, is it? Um, so it's nice to know that there are actual people making these technologies work, you know, in production at scale like that. And I, you know, what, what I what I see that, you know, a lot of people are, you know, adopting Kafka and large organizations. And, and this, you know, what's nice about Kafka, what we just said that, you know, you can send any type of data inside of Kafka. Yeah. It's nice, but that's also a little bit bad because on the other side, people, who are consuming the data they need to understand what data they are consuming right so that's where we are getting into like the the schema exactly and this is you had, yeah. a, you had a podcast previously about this and basically what i see that people are now you know describing you know they have a, a strategy to describe the data because it's uh, you know just much easier for the consumers and that yeah. they don't they don't, they don't break so you, so you can see it as a contract between the producers and consumers. Yeah. And for people who don't know, a schema registry is basically like a, a, a map, a dictionary. It's a service that runs somewhere in your, in your network. And you give it a content type and it gives you the schema for that. And then you can apply that to the message. That way the, the schema doesn't need to live with the message. It doesn't add extra heft or weight to the message. It doesn't slow exactly. it down. But you can then pull it out and say, oh, I've got this content type here. It's the schema. I'll use this strategy to deserialize it and read it and whatever. Exactly, and you just in in your message you just send the ID of the schema, and what's yeah. nice that it's making the message smaller, so you are saving the bandwidth. Yeah, so, right. really fast. Now, of course, you're trading the efficiencies in scale for the potential mm -hmm. cost of a network cop on the other yeah. side. But you know, you probably have cached versions of that locally in memory. Um, yeah, exactly, 
I, you know, the, the biggest problem is the, the management around it, that, you know, people need to define the schema, then they need right. to deploy, they need to version this, and uh, make sense. But, you know, if you are a large organization, then you, you're getting in the troubles that you are managing hundreds of schemas and, and so on. But again, it's a good, I think it's a good exercise. If you have hundreds of schemas, you have them, whether you're managing them or not, right? I think it's better, if we, I think we can all agree, understanding that you have hundreds of schemas and knowing what they are and having a single place just to inspect all that is critical to scaling your, your organization, you know? Uh, so having that requirement forced upon you is actually kind of a blessing if you think about it. Yeah, and you know, George, in my experience, like I can see like what is the maturity of people using Kafka? Like if they are using Kafka with no schema description, yeah. <laughs> then then it's probably they are they are beginning because they are not in the point that they realize they need something like <laughs> a description well, of, of their of their Kafka topics. Yeah, but you know, to be fair, like... to be fair, I I often don't use schema, but I'm just like one guy, <laughs> just sending messages back and forth between one little service. But I know that if I were to scale beyond like one or two people, I would definitely need, you know, a schema registry. And Spring Cloud Dataflow has good support for that schema registry. Um, uh, you know, yeah. Exactly, because you know, like if you describe your your data, then you can use some lot of other tools. You know, so mm -hmm. there's a lot of other tools who support the schema, so you can you know import it, export it. You can automatically create your classes based on the schemas that you can use. So there's it makes a lot of sense. Huge, huge, yeah. And it makes the organization agree on standards, which is key to scaling the system. You can't if you if you can't trust what's coming at you across the wire, you can't. You don't have anything yet. You know, you're you're not ready to go into production because you can't trust their data, which is a problem. Um, so about that encoding, is that like Avro or what, what are people using to describe their schema? Do you see more often than not? So, um, I, I, you know, mostly I see Avro people, people mm -hmm. using it, and, and but I've seen a lot of protobuf. So uh, oh, yeah. I guess it's, it's becoming really popular now. And Very popular. So, um, so protobuf it's it's being used for for schema definition as well and and people love it so yeah good and it works works well it's scalable uh yeah so okay wow we've just talked about schema registry we talked about encryption we talked mm -hmm. about gdpr compliance and i don't even know the name of the thing i, I live in california i i should know <laughs> i should definitely know but basically we have a right to be forgotten you know mm -hmm. just like in gdpr you know um so this, if, sorry we talk about now, we talk about the, the two use cases, and I just want to bring the third one that we yes. haven't discussed. And the <laughs> third one, third one is about the processing the, the real-time data, about the, the stream processing. And you know, this is the, the next use case, like when people get the data from the databases or different systems, when people get the data from their microservices. Now the third step is that you can do something with the data. And this is what I what I'm talking is about the stream process streams and this is what like is my my biggest passion is around you know using kafka streams in uh, in spring cloud streams and then right. like you know doing something with the data that are you know coming through kafka so we are talking about some stateless filtering that you can filter the data based on value mm -hmm. that you can say like i'm not interested in this type of data please don't send it to the the other systems don't let the consumers read the data because they are it's too much of a data, so you can right. make it shorter, you can change the format, or you can say, like, I'm interested only in a data where the value is bigger than 50. And so so this is something that you can like really easy do the, the filtering. So you 
you could make it easy for the for the consumers. So, and and the other is the stateful processing, and this is the the where you will do some aggregations um, in a, in a, in a Kafka state yeah. and do some some and the aggregations. This is we are coming back to event sourcing that you are getting the the data from your Kafka topics and you can ag aggregate the data together. So the biggest example is the the account balance that you you aggregate the, right. the transactions and then you you get the your current account balance. So Kafka streams can be used for the the event sourcing part. Kafka Streams is a, a beautiful thing. Kafka Streams, for people who haven't tried it yet, check out Spring Cloud Stream Kafka Streams, which is like the best of both worlds. You get Spring Cloud Stream, yeah. ease of configuration and setup, but then you get right into like, it just, all it does is it helps you skip some of that boring setup yeah. logic, but basically the API is Kafka Streams, right? So you can yeah. define uh, KQs um, and K topics and, and, and so on. Uh, and it's, it's so, Kafka streams, uh, let me think, how, how would I describe this to people listening? It's a way to take messages in and then write out the results to another topic. Topic, exactly. And, it, and you're just, you're, it's just, you're stringing together a number of stateless filters, like you just said, whose outputs are messages that go to different topics. And so you end up just having like a little maze through your, which your data flows. And by the time it comes out the maze, you know, Data has been transformed, enriched. It's been aggregated. Whatever you know. Um. Yeah, exactly. And you are doing it in in real time. So, and th th this is like really really interesting. And you know, you can you can be joining the data. You can be you know mixing the data together and make makes it makes a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's it can be also like sometimes challenging, like when pe people. Oh yeah. People like try to do crazy things, like some real-time prediction models and and things okay. like this. And well, I, state is your enemy here, but it's possible. Exactly. To get tables, right? Um, exactly. And the you know this is what I I did some sessions around the uh, the, the state uh, and in, in spring spring cloud streams because what's interesting that the data are in Kafka topics, but the state is on your disk. The state is right. actually in in a rocks DB. And the, the rocks DB that lives in the same place where is your uh, microservice located. So mm -hmm. in your um, typically on your um, the server, yeah, yeah. And but the data are in Kafka, and the, the rocks DB is backed backed up by the Kafka topic. So so if your rocks DB goes down, then and it can always get the data back from the the Kafka topic. And and recreate the state again, and this is exactly the, the event sourcing what we discussed previously. Right. Wow. That the the the, the, the K tables are based on the on the event sourcing and then right. read by RocksDB and your file system and can recalculate you know again from 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 your Kafka topic. So where so the KQs are they let you think they let you think about the data like a queue. K tables yeah. though you can actually reread the, the K, same K, data. K streams K streams K streams yeah K streams are topics you know topics but then the K tables is the you can state. actually query them yeah you can actually yeah, ask exactly. them questions over and over uh, and they're they're like views is that they're, fair to say yeah, exactly exactly there is this uh, interactive query API and you can yeah. you can query you can query a state exactly right I love yeah and it's a very powerful mix it's it, it's and you can uh, you know. Uh, when I first learned about Hadoop, do you remember Hadoop? Yeah. Um, uh, first learned about it, and they said, "Oh, you can 
decompose every algorithm in terms of map and reduce. And I said, no, that's absolute craziness, you know, and here we are 15, you know, plus years later, and uh, I can decompose incredible, an incredible number of algorithms in terms of K streams and K tables. It's just crazy. I mean, I can do almost anything with these very simple primitives. And so, like you just said, it's, it's not always obvious, but it's definitely possible when you do it. Now you get Kafka's incredible scale, you get its reliability, you get the richness and the maturity of the ecosystem. So just finding ways to describe your algorithm, to describe your workflow in terms of these simple atoms, these little primitives is uh, very satisfying, you know? And the, I just want to point out one interesting thing about scaling yeah. the K-tables, because as we said, the K-tables, they live with your microservice. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you decide to, to run multiple instances of your microservice, then you will, it means that you will scale your K-table as well. And oh, so cool. So, so you're you're scaling the state, yeah. And uh, availability so, too, by definition. Exactly. And then there are there are these two options that you can have a global K table. This means if you have a global K table, that you will have the same state in in each microservice. You have like exactly the repli- something a, a replicated state. Yeah. Is a global K table. If you have a just a K table, you will have a. Uh, part of the K table in each uh, microservice because it's based on the partitions. So the topic has to pick each Kafka topic have a partitions, and then if you have if you have a global K table, they will replicate all the partitions. If you have a normal K table, it will just uh, if you have two K tables, it will take half of the partitions from the topic, and then the other uh, K table will take the remaining uh, partitions from the topic. Wow! So that's so all built is, in. This this all built in, yeah. This all built, in. but sometimes like people don't know about it, or you know, or you know, when, when you're learning and playing with this, you're you're surprised about like the the scaling of the state because this is when I started, you know, playing with microservices that you know, yeah. if you do everything stateless, it's easy. When you start yeah. working with state, this is Oof. when the uh, yeah the difficult things start to come in, yeah. So. It gets better if you, like, uh, so Kafka obviously is stateful, and yet the best way to work with it is in terms of stateless filters, right? Like, you know, you want to write as little state as possible, uh, uh, you know, whenever possible. So I, the fact that it's all just kind of transparent and clean and easy with Kafka, oh, that's so cool. Um, okay, so you, how do you recommend people consume all this stuff? Like, uh, obviously there's, I, I think the spring for, Apache Kafka project and the Spring Cloud Stream support is pretty good, but you know, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Spring fan, so I'm I'm using Spring. I don't know since 2008 or something. Nice. Like, um, I don't know, maybe now 2009, something like that. Like so, I'm I'm old, so I'm I'm just <laughs> used to used to you know using Spring for for everything. So this is my weapon of choice. So, <laughs> so I. And I, I love it, and I love it, and I, I love Spring Cloud Streams as well. So and I, I, I'm doing some some sessions about it uh, all the time. So I did one on, on Kafka Summit last year. Had massive oh, wow. audience. People just people are really interested in this. Yeah. So, um, and you know everybody is using Spring. So it's it's just you know much easier if people are starting with Kafka. They they most probably have already Spring runnings. You know Spring Boot applications. Right. So, much easier for them just to you know look at spring cloud streams and see 
this how how easy it is and then they can you know just uh, forget about all this boilers thing and then they can just you know start using the patterns that you have developed in spring cloud streams so super easy to use i love it i love it um okay so first of all it it's easy to use it, it's also getting much easier to to manage right to run it because zookeeper is on its way out and you know when you, one of the things i love about kafka is that sorry apache kafka uh, one of the things about apache kafka that i love is that it's just one system and if you get it installed successfully, which isn't that hard, um, then you get a database, a message queue, you get all these patterns that we've just talked about. There's no, none of the stuff that we've just talked about, Kafka streams, all that, it's not add-ons. It's not like separate pieces of infrastructure. It's just Kafka, right? And so suddenly you have this workhorse, you know, uh, there are a few messaging services out there <clears throat> that do so many different things well, that it just feels like a good idea to have them, you know? Kafka is one for me. I also quite like Redis for certain use cases. It's one of those things where there's lots of use cases for it, right? Um, uh, but Kafka is just, you know, it's a Swiss army knife. You know, it's just very, very useful. You could uh, open a bottle of champagne or, or scale your system to uh, secure us, uh, you know, levels. Uh, but getting, getting, it, getting it there in the first place to do it well at production scale, it's not always, uh, it's not something I want to do. One of the things I love about Apache, Apache Kafka is that it's easy to get, it's, it's so prolific and so popular and so loved that it's very easy to find it and all your favorite cloud uh, vendors and providers, right? Um, do you see people using it, for example, on Azure Spring Cloud or on yeah. Microsoft Azure? Yeah, so uh, Josh, this, this is a very good question because when I, when I came to Confluent uh, two years ago, I have seen most of people using uh, Apache Kafka on-prem in their own data centers, right? Because they were, you know, worried about the, what they call the data gravity that the right. Kafka needs to be around the, you know, where the data is. But you know, in the in last two years, I have seen a massive shift to to cloud, just just really massive. And you know, now today, I'm I'm just you know, like see people more, you know using Kafka in the, in the, uh, from the cloud providers. And, you know, you mentioned Azure and uh, what, what, we, what we have uh, at Confluent, we have built something what's called uh, Confluent Cloud. And this is our, you know, serverless Kafka. So this is our offering of a Kafka um, right. as a service that's running wow. on top of the cloud providers and of course on top of Azure. And I, I work right. with, with, with a lot of, you know, Azure guys basically if and customers girls. are <laughs> and girls, yeah, and if if customers are serious about you know using Kafka, but they don't want to set it up by themselves, because you know, as you said, Kafka is uh, easy in in the beginning, but when you start you know growing and you are you know getting some massive data throughputs, yeah, like I have customers you know with uh, you know gigabytes per per second, so right in in this massive scale. Like you don't want to, you don't want to support it. You don't want to be responsible. You want somebody else to be responsible to, to, to run an operator. I don't want to do it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, I, I see that this is, this is the future, like using the, not only the Kafka, but like using the, the data services as a service, you know, running, uh, running on, on top of a cloud provider, because I it's just, love it. you know, my experience, I, I work with customers and I, I work with a lot of them helping, I'm, I'm helping them, you know, from the beginning until they they, they got the system running and, and working. 
And I just see that people who, who decided to, to go with, with, with the cloud way, it's just much easier and they are much faster because they can skip like all the, you know, <laughs> thinking and how, sh how should, how big should be my, my infrastructure and, and, and what, what do I need? And, they, you know, and if, if they, if they just, you know, open the Azure console and they just, you know, pay the service and then they, and they, they, they have a Kafka topic and they can start, you know, playing with this in, uh, I don't know, in a couple of minutes. So yeah, this, I love it. So this is, yeah. So big you fan of this. Our, 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 our mutual friend, James Waters always talks about the, the value line, right? Oh yeah. Uh, the above totally the value makes line. Totally makes sense here, right? Um, I think about that all the time. Do I want to spend <laughs> engineering resources and time trying to figure this out? Or do I just want to let, because it's Confluent. Confluent is managing the service for me, right? So it's not like I'm just, it's, it's the best of both worlds. Confluent gets money, which I love because I want them to be successful and to thrive and to thank succeed. You. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But, but also, I don't want to run my own Kafka. I have very little time. And the time I do have, I want to spend with my family. And if I can't spend it all with my family, then I don't want to spend it running Kafka instances. So I love, it's a, it's a win-win for everybody, you know? Uh, and by the way, the difference here is the complexity that you just described that we alluded to, that complexity in scaling data is there for every system. It's there for every technology at scale, right? Anything you use at that kind of scale is going to have that complexity. The difference is there are well-known uh, uh, patterns for Kafka users at that scale, right? Now, not everybody knows all those patterns because who has time to learn everything, right? But, uh, but at least they exist. Whereas a lot of technologies are like, oh, you just figured it out yourself, you know? So that's the, that's the nice thing about Kafka is that when you get into that heavy scale territory, there are knobs and levers you can manipulate to get the results that work well in that situation. Whereas a lot of technologies just, they just haven't gotten that far yet, you know? I remember, you know, eight years ago, hearing about Netflix doing, you know, a billion or more messages per day, you know? And that was, that was Apache Kafka in its infancy, and it was still able to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So now it's just the difference isn't about scalability. Today, it's a, it's about scalability and the maturity of operations around it. You know, mm -hmm. um, by about staying above that value line. I love it. So as as you said, sure. So Kafka is now about ten years old, and you know, so we have been adding wow. a lot of, or the community have been adding a lot of knobs. You know how to yeah. how to configure the Kafka properly to to support your 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 scale so i think like you know it's kafka is is performing amazing amazingly well but you know all these knobs and all the configurations like to to get there yeah. this is this is not not easy to do and no. like if i see like how much our engineering inside of confluent how much time they are spending to 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 figure this out and to 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 you know offer the kafka as a service it's it's not easy right. And we, no. it, it's not a secret that we run the service on top of Kubernetes. So, right. and I, I see this, uh, you know, many times that today that people just tell me I will, I will run Kafka on Kubernetes. It's, it's easy. <laughs> and I, <laughs> okay. and uh, I, I know. I, I'm always laughing. I'm saying like, how much experience <laughs> do you have with Kubernetes and how much like data services are you yeah. running on Kubernetes? Like, would you run your Oracle on top of Kubernetes? Probably not. So, and, and plus how many resources, how many, like how much money, time, engineering effort, you know, talent, uh, it just, oh, the, the cost is so, and, and and Confluent has been working on this twenty four seven, you know, all day, for 
almost a decade. And it's still not, I'm sure it's as close to perfect as possible, but it's still not perfect, <laughs> right, by definition. So do you want to reproduce that work? Do you want to duplicate that work or just trust the amazing people at Confluent? I, I, it's easy for me, obviously. I'm a, <laughs> like I have, I have I'm, I'm lucky that I, right now, you and I, we're lucky, right? We have more money than we have time. You know, that's a good problem to have, right? I, I'd much rather spend the money than spend the time. So I love, uh, I love Confluent Cloud uh, for, this, for this kind of stuff. Where do people learn more, uh, my friend, about all this? And, and then where do people learn more about you? Are you on the internet? And if so, do you want to be found? And if so, where, uh, you know, et cetera? Where, where can we send people to pick up this conversation? Okay. So first, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the obvious thing would be the, the Confluent uh, uh, IO, Confluent IO website. And we have an amazing developer portal. So, and we have a, we just published um, educational videos uh, for free. There is a huge amount of education on, um, um, if you, if you just, you know, <clears throat> Google the, for the Confluent uh, developer. Uh, you will okay. be able to find it. So this is the first thing that I would recommend people who are interested in this. Oh, it's developer.confluent.io. Okay, thank you. <laughs> exactly. No thank you. The second thing is uh, Kafka Summit. Um, Kafka Summit is a, it's becoming a huge conference. We have a, one Kafka Summit in, in Europe, in, in London. So this is, I think, the, the end of April. It's, um, it's Kafka Summit. Um, and uh, this will be amazing event. So uh, ho hopefully, you know, we will be able to meet a lot of people, you know, in person after two years, you know, see the people again. Oh. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm really excited about, you know, meeting the people again in, in, uh, in the Kafka community. So, and then there, there is, a, there will be Kafka Summit in US. Uh, and this is, this is, I believe in, in August or September, uh, I know it's in Austin, wow. Austin, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly when it is. So, so later this year. So, and um, so I would definitely recommend to 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 check out the Kafka Summit, and wow. and there are all the sessions are recorded. So, uh, if anybody wants to see uh, sessions from from last years, so there is a lot of you know good sessions uh, around Kafka, around applications, about use cases. So, this is what I would definitely recommend. Awesome. About me, Josh, uh, people would yeah. find me at, at, at Twitter at, uh, uh, at uh, Jan Svoboda. So that's my name. And on, on LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm easy to find. So if you type my name and, and Confluence, so easy, easy, to, easy to find. That's J-A-N-S-V as in Victor. Mm -hmm. O as in Oscar. B as in Bat. Uh, o, Oscar, D, Dog, A, Alex. Right? So... Uh, I, I'm I'm a follower. It's worked that well for me. Uh, I appreciate your time. I cannot believe all the cool stuff that we just uh, covered. This is going to be one of those episodes that people are going to want to bookmark. I I can already feel it. Right? There's a lot of thank you, Josh. Really and, uh, interesting thank possibilities. For, thank you for inviting inviting me, and I really appreciate it. You know, I I love everything what you're doing for the community, and I think it's really amazing. So, oh, I'm you're a very huge kind. fan, and uh, uh -huh. you know, you you're always listening to your podcast, and I'm. I'm super happy and excited that uh, I had a chance to talk to you. So th thanks again my, for inviting me. It was, are you kidding? Thank you. It's my privilege. I, I feel a little bad. Uh, I feel a little bad that you just gave us all that good stuff for free and you can't charge your normal consulting rate, right? Because uh, 
like, yeah, it was really valuable stuff. That's the kind of stuff you would pay a consultant to sit in a room with a whiteboard for a few hours to learn, you know? Um, and uh, you just gave it away for free. That's super cool of you. I, I think people should know that this is just the beginning, right? There's so much more expertise that comes from uh, people like you who have got years of experience using this stuff, you know? So it's, it pays to talk to people like you. And I, I'm so grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for sharing everything. Thank you, George. A beautiful podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.